The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Show Raiders. Uh, uh, I forgot how to do this. <laughs> I forgot how to do this. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Show Raiders, episode 619. I'm your host, Andrew. Hey, guys, and I'm Danny. And this is your source for tech, gaming, and entertainment news, Daniela. We have a reaction show today. We're going to get right into it. And uh, you've been checking out a game called Exoprimal. Uh, so I definitely want to hear your reactions on what you've been checking out with that. And what's it about? Like, uh, give me all the, the goodies uh, on the game. So Exoprimal had a kind of a closed beta test that was like open for like three hours on sunday um i believe that was july 10th so i definitely was stoked that i had time and i could jump in for that um exoprimal is basically you are working as this guns for hire kind of thing for this company called abius or ibius and basically what they're doing is like this science experiment, throwing these people in these mech suits, collect data to make the best suits possible. And then you're just fighting these dinosaurs that get summoned literally out of nowhere that pop through these portals in kind of a very Horde-esque type of way that's coming from this very evil AI called like the leviathan and then basically it's just a science experiment where you have um uh, for most of the time that i was playing it was a two teams um five five v five that you are going through and fighting all these dinosaurs and you guys have to complete this objectives faster than the other team and then in the end, like after that, you have to escort the payload uh, to extract the data that was, I guess, collected. Um, and the second map that I got was you start off in this like 5v5 thing, but then you suddenly get pulled together and it turns into a 10vE play like you're then you're all five or all 10 of you are fighting against these waves of dinosaurs to like end up with this mecha t-rex that comes after you and you know it it was just as as campy as i thought it was going to be because the idea of this seems a little bit ridiculous you're just fighting endless hordes of dinosaurs in these really cool mech suits so you there's six different suits but during the beta there were four that was available um and it was a it was a good taste of what you could expect so you had two dps assault suits uh deadeye and zephyr or zephyr uh deadeye is more of your mid to long range dps he has a gun um, very little recoil on it um and then you have zephyr who has like these swords for really up close uh, fighting then you have, of course, your tank, which was Roadblock, and then a, a support healer that was called the Witch Doctor. And I got to try all four, all four of them. And 
Um, I make a terrible healer, but uh, let's start with the DPS ones. The DPS suits on Deadeye and, and Zephyr, I, I did prefer uh, Deadeye because, like, I don't understand the concept of being in this middle of all of this craziness with a close range character or suit. Just, like, I'd rather fight a T-Rex and hordes of raptors from afar. Um, but the, I was not very, very good with Zebra, but I would say that Deadeye is definitely the type where if you're new to the game, it's very easy to understand what you have to do and the controls and mechanics of it. It was by far the easiest one. Uh, then you have the tank, uh, Roadblock, which was a lot of fun. He puts up a, a shield, um, and then you can kind of like do this quick, uh, like steamroll bash and knock back or kill, you know, dinosaurs. And he has this really cool alt where basically he like his arms turn into these huge things and he does this tornado move and spins and can suck up all the dinosaurs causing damage over time. And then the the healer, which was a little bit. I want to say I was garbage using it, but I got I'm assuming what the scream was was like MVP status quite a few times with it. So I don't I don't know what to make for that because I didn't feel like I was a good healer. But he throws down this like area healing. Um, he also can like throw out throw out a, a small area for repair. Um, he offers some some quick uh, short lived buffs for different characters. And he also has, like, I guess for his offensive, like, this stunning ability. But I would say that his crowd control, like, limitations wasn't... He he was obviously very squishy. It's a healer. Um, but I didn't feel like I was really useful. Like, I was offering heals, but I think that's kind of, like, all I was doing the whole time. Like, the stunning didn't really feel like it was stunning. I mean, granted, this is a beta. There's a lot of stuff to work on still. But I felt like it was like pretty much a useless ability. He also has like really quick escape. So he can just like leap out, um, get some distance in between dinosaurs or even leap in to get closer to, you know, his other comrades to offer some heals. But by far, I think the one that was the most fun to play was definitely the tank. Now to get into the gameplay mechanics and really that nitty gritty, it's it's hard. I can't be too critical on it, but I feel like I should. It is a beta. They're only offering you so much. Um, and it was obviously for a three hour window period here. It was, it got really old really fast. Like if you were, if you were like slightly ahead like while while you're going through and completing these objectives, you don't actually see the the whole team. You see like this red outline of kind of where they're at and then they kind of disappear, reappear for you to get an idea about how much further along in these objectives they are compared to you. So you're not really fighting them until like the end. And if you're you're escorting this payload, you have dinosaurs coming for you, you have dinosaurs attacking this payload. You're trying to move it forward. Um, you have to have at least three people on it. It doesn't move any faster if you have like your entire team surrounding it. But if you are slightly ahead, like that other team, that's where they can actually interact with you. 
and just make it so much harder for you. Like they have the ability to summon a T-Rex that's at their command to attack you, to prevent you from moving forward. And that's really gets hard. So you can get steamrolled pretty fast, um, especially on that ending part. Um, the map was pretty repetitive. The one thing that was really, really grinding me is that the AI, this Leviathan or whatever you want to call it, that just talks and talks and talks like the whole time. It didn't stop. And there's no options to turn it off that I could find because the entire time he's all like, oh, raptors are spawning. Raptors are attacking this. Oh, the other team is ahead of you. Oh, you finished lower than the other team. I'm like, stop. Just stop and be quiet for a moment like I couldn't handle that uh controlling the t-rex is a little bit rough there um it just it didn't offer anything like the visually it looked very polished it, it ran really nice I didn't have any bugs there was no lagging on there but the overall gameplay mechanics of itself was just it was nothing new, nothing you haven't seen before, nothing you haven't played before, nothing to really like, oh my gosh, this is super exciting. This is this is fun. I want this game. It was like, okay, well, that's cool. This uh, this will scratch that itch if you need to play something for like 30 minutes. Other than that, I'm like, okay. I gave it a good shot for like two, two and a half hours, almost the entire window. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Okay. Did you have fun? Um, well, I didn't not have fun, but I don't know if I would classify it as fun. Okay. Uh, is I didn't, it a... I didn't hate it the entire time. Let's put it that way. I didn't hate my experience the entire time. It, okay. it wasn't like I was painfully agonizing playing this just to see the experience. Um. I think it was kind of cool when I got the second map. It was a different little look to it and you completing objectives and then suddenly, you know, who the other team you're fighting, suddenly you guys are working together. I thought that was a pretty cool element. I didn't get that map enough times at all. I really enjoyed that part. Um, even though that was a huge visual overload, like it was hard to tell, um, you know, where your teammates were at. I was just trying to look for bars. I'm like, okay, I see your bar. I'm going to heal you. I didn't see the bars for the other team, but I could offer heals. Um, area, um, the area that you can heal, I didn't notice if it like stacked with the other healer. But I, I didn't not like enjoy myself, but I didn't like sit there and be like, oh man, I wish the window was open longer. Okay, so a couple of things. Is it a tug of war game? Is it like your tug of war between an opposite side, or is it PVE only? Like I'm trying to to understand a little bit. It's it's for the most of it for the map that I was given the most. It was mostly PVE. Okay. With that last ending bit of the payload, like the very last maybe minute or two, then it kind of is PvP, but not. It's just like you can make it harder for the other team. Yeah, you can attack them. You can actually do damage. You can send dinosaurs after them. But it was not like the whole thing right there. It wasn't everything. So I would say right now from my experience, it was mostly PvE. Okay, so what's interesting about the, you know, everything 
for me is a comparison with Destiny because I'm like, the game for me never gets old and I'm really back into it now. So it sounds to me like a Gambit, um, not a Gambit, uh, and well, I'll say this. It's a, it sounds like a Gambit inspired game. This is Capcom, right? Yes. Okay. So, so in Gambit, you're doing a tug of war between, um, taking things out and then, you know, insert, inserting moats in a particular, you know, moat box and then uh, depending on how that meter is going up uh, between either your side or the other side uh, you're you'll be able to spawn monsters on the other side that's how like gambit works and then depending on what's happening on the other side where you get on a meter bar you can send an invader to the opposite side to kind of like cause friction and if the invader um, takes out some of the guardians there, it adds energy back to the other side, right? So, so Gambit for Destiny 2, of course, is a tug of war game. So, it sounds to me like there's a tug of war happening with this uh, Exo Primal. Will I play it? No, because games that are um, games that seem that they just come out of nowhere for me for Capcom, I never tend to play those. With the exception of like, you know, watching and appreciating like the new Resident Evils and stuff like that. But I noticed for me personally, I never play those games that are like, where did this game come from? Right. Like I had no idea this was a thing. Um, I'm sure you were following it closely. Maybe I missed it in some announcement. Maybe it was at, at, at the um, showcase and I kind of forgot about it. That's possible, too. And, you know, I, I, I saw it because I saw you playing it for, for a few. And I'm like, eh, no, for me, right? I'm just speaking for me. And I think at this point, what's happening now is I'm trying not to do it, but it's happening all the time is the lens of the games that I'm going to play stem from your Call of Duties, your Destinies and stuff like that. I'm pretty boring at this point when it comes to like game choices. Outside of like your Street Fighter 6, which is a must buy. I don't care what Street Fighter number it is. I'm going to purchase those things. But I guess that's where I'm at with that. To me, it seems like that game, Exo Primo, can get boring pretty quickly. Unless you're so like heavily invested in that world and that universe, if they have one, then I can see you, you know, being not you personally, but I'm just saying, just being in general. Like, I can see you being in, in that world uh, for a very, very long time. Now, if the tension points don't happen often enough to keep it exciting, I could see how it can get boring, right? But this is just my opinion, like a quick, you know, couple of minutes of me watching it and then just kind of reflecting on it a little bit. But if you had fun, great. If you didn't have fun and exciting and, and excited to play the, the game itself, that could be very telling on adjustments that they need to make to make the game even more exciting for you to come back i hate gambit right for destiny 2 and hate is a strong word but i hate it right but what happens is there are things in there that i would need for me to use in my other experiences in destiny 2 right because gambit the gear sets tend to be like you know super powerful so i could use those gear sets for you know pvp or even iron banner even though iron banner has its own set but i don't like gambit I'm not a Gambit player. I don't like being invaded by invaders. I think that could be frustrating, but that's the tension point that they add in the game that makes it so, so interesting because the invader has additional energy and I think additional shield. They come into your world. 
they kind of disrupt a little bit. And if they, you know, take out some of the enemies, then it makes it tougher for, you know, you to kill the prime evil at the end, which is the big monster. And then, you know, you destroy the monster before the other guys destroy that monster. That's the individual that wins the round or the game. So if it doesn't do anything like that, although I don't like playing Gambit that much, and I believe it's a great game mode, then any other company that's trying that format, tug of war, tension, you know, disruptors on, on each side every single time or whenever it's necessary, if they're not creating a world like that or a game like that, then it's not going to be effective that people are going to play it. The user base is going to die before it even, you know, builds up. That's my opinion on barely seeing it. So uh, any, um, any additional thoughts? I have, to, I have to agree with that because the first couple of matches, I was like, okay, this is fun. But yeah, the novelty of it died out real fast after that. Because like when when you first see the trailer when it was introduced before you know before this beta, like all oh, that's cool. You get to run around, you get to like like kill dinosaurs. But like this approach to it was like, okay, you're not even really killing all the dinosaurs, just a certain amount of them. And then in certain instances, it's not even about killing the dinosaurs; it's about killing one specific one that spawned to complete it even faster. And the, all the other stuff is just noise in the background. Um, it just, the novelty of it just ran out real quick. And, you know, what? talking about these pressure points that make it exciting, I did not feel that at all. And there really wasn't so much like a tug of war because there's nothing adding on. Like if you completed it faster and it's not like it added like, um, you know, a buff or a debuff for the other team at all, or even for yourself, you're, you just like, okay, I'm just like, I completed it just a little bit faster. Okay. Um that it didn't feel rewarding even winning didn't quite feel rewarding which was kind of just kind of sad um again this is like really early um uh, it is a beta uh i will you know as more windows open and you know whatever changes that they may offer i'll, I'll still give it a try because the idea is nice but the the pvp aspect is just like no you need to revamp that if if that is even going to be an option in your game and just like to add a little bit more, add that that excitement, that thrill of this PVE aspect of it. But yeah, that's uh, that's that that was my experience. I gave it a good try, and you know, I'll I'll see what happens in future uh, beta windows. Yeah, for sure. So um, if you have the Twitter for the people working on it, I'm definitely gonna tag them on this because my thing is like, if your goal is to um, is to have a great uh, tug of war type of game very similar to gambit from destiny 2 and i'm being very specific here if that's the goal that you want to reach if, that, if that's the pinnacle or beyond that you want to reach then uh, your team members whoever's working on the game they have to spend time playing gambit to see why gambit is exciting why people hate it like me even though i think it's one of the dopest modes in gaming for a very very long time because you know, you're working together. It adds tension. If you shoot enemies and they drop moats, you pick up the moats. You have to put the moats and the moat thing. If uh, if you die, then you lose those moats that didn't get added to the moat box. Right. And you don't get to increase the energy bar that you need to uh, summon the primeval. So the, there's so many different tension points in Gambit, even though I don't play it that much, that if that's the goal as a team, as a, you know, 
um, whoever's working on this particular, you know, game, then I, I definitely say consider that as your, um, I guess, North Star for the excitement that people are looking for for this game, this upcoming title, Exo Primal. And we spent, I'm looking at the time and, and I really want to tag them on this. We spent 20 minutes talking about this. Okay, so I, w- I would hope that in there you find uh, something extremely constructive uh, that you can add or send to the team themselves by way of the conversation surrounding Exo Primal and what it's going to represent for the individuals th- that's going to play it and probably compare it to Gambit, which is a Destiny 2 mode. Any additional uh, thoughts, Daniela? No, that about sums it up. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So uh, what do we have next? We have... Oh, this is you. This is all you right here. I know you've been waiting for this. I know you're excited for this. You've waited years for this. So, Daniela, you know, this is all you. Skull and Bones, the gameplay trailer. I definitely want to hear your reactions on this one. Dude, this is like what long time just waiting and patience gets you. Skull and Bones, finally, like a few days ago, announced, you know, um, their release date, um, they show their gameplay overview trailer, which showed like a lot. And you know what? I am appreciative of the time they took to kind of pretty much rebuild this. So Skull and Bulls was originally announced E3 2017, I believe it was. And then I got to play some of it, I think, in at E3 2018. And you know what? I played at, it. I played at E3. I did enjoy it and it looked really cool. Um, it w- which at that time it was just focused on just being on a pirate ship, but you don't do anything else, which is a bit lackluster. Like it looked cool, um, fighting other ships was a little bit fun, but if you really think about it, outside of that, like if if you were to have that game in where it its current state was, that can get boring. You know, it's like oh, that's all I'm gonna do is sail. I can't even get off my ship. I can't even explore the islands. Like. Like that would get boring. So, um, you know, they had some mishaps. They had some, um, you know, delays. And then you get this announcement. I can't remember what year came in uh, that they were going to be pretty much rebuilding and revamping this idea of what Skull and Bones was going to be. And then they were pretty quiet for a long time until, you know, four or five days ago. (laughs) And so now you have this worldwide you know gameplay reveal showing everything like this is what we have been doing this is what is happening and this is what you're going to get and i you know what i am pretty happy for what they they are presenting what they put out there and what we are going to be getting because um you know you had a, a assassin's creed uh black flag that just did amazing and you know if you play black flag the pirate aspect the sailing it was a lot of fun So just to take just that sailing and pirate aspect, having nothing to do with Assassin's Creed, like, and you just have this element, but you're, you're your own pirate and you start off with nothing. And obviously the Ubisoft game of like, you almost always start off with nothing and you build up the, what they call not experience points, but infamy and you complete quests and you start like leveling up into this world to become like your own well-known feared pirate. Um, with upgrades to your ships where you can survive, where you can loot, where you can destroy other ships, where you can explore, where you can get blueprints to uh, improve your ship. You have this crew deck, you have all of this going on, which is so much more than what 
originally was announced and it just seemed for me it's so exciting i love pirates so to, to see this i am excited for it i i will say the one thing that does make me a little bit nervous is that um it is announced to be released november 8th um of this year 2022 which is really cool but it's also the day before god of war ragnarok <laughs> so um wow that is a really rough time to be released so that you have your own moment to shine for people to love and to enjoy. But then you have God of War Ragnarok that's like right there with you. Yeah, so so definitely uh, emphasize that and um, amplify that, Daniela. Why is this an issue? Because like, okay, if you have people who have limited funds and they want to get both, they're going to get God of War. I'm sorry. As much as I as I am looking forward to um, Skull and Bones, people are going to be more attracted to God of War because it has constantly um, provided that fun, that interest, that excitement that people love, and they they uh, love the first one. They love the entire series. So now you have this game that's coming out. Yeah, they're not in the same genre. I always have an issue when all the shooters are coming out later in the holiday seasons and they're so close together. There's one that's going to outshine the other. So when you have Skull and Bones, people are just kind of like, oh, I want to be pirates. This looks cool. But it also took you like five years plus to get to this point that that interest might not be so invested into it. So to have it aligned right next to this really huge, um, this other really huge game that has a great history, that has a huge fan base to it, it's like God of War is going to outshine that. And like, I'm afraid that's going Bones, which I think is going to be a great game, might be kind of like shoved aside. And that's always painful to see because you, you've seen that many times with many other games where it's a great game but it came out too close to another fantastic game. And that fantastic game just took over, you know, all game reviews, all streams, all like social media that people just didn't really notice until later down the line. And like, hey, this game was really cool. How come I didn't hear it? How come I didn't know it released? And then, you know, that's where that's where you sit. Uh, for me, I will be dedicating it to Skull and Bones rather than God of War. I mean, I will get it eventually, but I'm also one of those terrible people who haven't played the first one yet. Please don't hate me. Um, but I've also been really looking forward to it, and I, I, <laughs> I am excited. So I really hope that people give a Skull and Bones a chance um, and, and, and just go out there and be the best pirate you can be. <laughs> There's so much there's so much that's going on into this this game that has it just made it so much more exciting. I mean, there's a survival portion of it. There's, you know, multiplayer, there's crafting. You have like three tip, different types of ships and pirates, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely exciting uh, exciting time. So, a couple of things. This feels like um learn from history type of show i don't know how it ended up to be that and we had no idea because we're just like yo let's just turn on the mics and do what we do so so let's do this okay october 2016 right october 2016 titanfall 2 october 2016 call of duty 
Infinite Warfare. Now, if you if you haven't learned yet, right, from what's happening with a lot of these releases, as Daniela pointed out, this is still a no-no, right? This is still a no-no. If there's a way for you to, you know, move around a week before, a month before, a month after, right? If there's a way for you to do that, please do that. Now, Titanfall 2 is one of those games that everyone raves about. One of the best experiences that you should have, right? You should definitely check out Titanfall 2. But nobody cared, to some degree, just hear me out. Because Call of Duty Infinite Warfare was dropping in the same month. And whether you like Call of Duty or not, that's not the point. Call of Duty is still one of the biggest releases every single year. That's just the way it is. So why would you release, and we, we talked about this in the past, why would you release Titanfall 2 in the same month as Call of Duty. Why don't you move it till January? Now, maybe there were certain deadlines or whatever that needed that you needed to do, but it wouldn't surprise me if they actually talked about this, where they that they could have made adjustments to have another date looking back. But anybody going into that would have told you if you're like listening to, you know, different pieces of content or, or other creators, not just individuals that's going to agree with everything that you do, that nobody releases anything during a month. No, no individual coming out with an FPS game will release on the same month as, as Call of Duty. That's just madness. Why would you do that? It just doesn't make sense. So, so when you see a game, like you mentioned, uh, um, Ragnarok coming out almost around the same time as this particular game, and we've been waiting, well, let me rephrase that. Danielle has been waiting for Skull and Bones for a very long time, and you're releasing it around there, and you're asking her to choose. What do you think she's going to choose? You know, if money was a factor, right, for that particular situation. And I think that that's, you know, we have to, to learn from, from these um, examples of, how it can affect. Yes, a lot of things are becoming, you know, behind passes. They're becoming day ones. And that may be easier for some. But some individuals may buy a game. And if they can't buy it, right, or if they don't have money to buy both, they're going to choose, you know, one particular one. Especially if they they're still have some feelings about the one that they've been waiting for uh, for such a long time. Now, uh, the other question I have in my mind is, are, haven't, have we been waiting for... For Ragnarok for a long time? I don't know. It feels like people are super excited for it. I would say, I mean, yeah, we've been waiting a while for Ragnarok, but not, it, it's like an intense anticipation of it. Like, you know, it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not like it was plagued with like delays or possible cancellation or, you know, oh, we don't like the way this game came out. Let's just rebuild the whole thing. Right. Okay. You know, so, like, it, it was not played with that. It was just like, you know, Santa Monica Studios taking the time to create this fantastic experience to live up to God of War. Okay. So, so worst case scenario, they delay Ragnarok into spring of next year. Then Skull and Bones gets a break. But if they don't, then you know everything that we said still applies. Right. Yeah, it really does. It does. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's unfortunate for for studios who are 
Okay, so I don't know who makes the decision for when the game is going to release, but there has to be some research that takes place for things like what we're still talking about today. Titanfall should have been released in another window. Not try to compete with Call of Duty that has a game every year way before Titanfall was in existence, where there was other OGs from one studio going into another to create Titanfall, whatever the history is with that, it is what it is. But you don't compete with Call of Duty in October or fall. You better not compete with Call of Duty this fall. (laughs) Okay, especially that they're releasing one of the top Call of Duty games ever. That would be a big mistake. So um, that's all I have there. You have any uh, final thoughts? I think, I think the only small saving grace for that for releasing the day before God of War is that the two are not within the same genre. Mm. I think that is the like a huge saving grace to it because if like, you know, bringing up Titanfall and Call of Duty, that's the same genre. They're both shooters, they're both um competitive uh, multiplayers or or you know, to to some aspect. Um that's hard for somebody to to decide, but if you have two different experiences, then it's not so bad. I think that's the one small saving grace to it. Um, and I hope it really does well. Um, I'm definitely going to be picking it up. And I think the greatest thing possibly, because it's going to be available on um, all platforms, because <laughs> funny, because it was originally uh, really going to be released for the older ones, because it was supposed to be released in 2018. But now it's going to be on, you know, PS5, Xbox Series X, and S. Um, I think this is definitely one of the benefits. And I'm hoping, hoping to see it day one on Game Pass. That'll be huge. That'll be great. Love it. I don't know about that one yet. <laughs> no, that's dope. That's dope. I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I love... There uh, is one interesting fact about... Uh, Skull and Bones, that is like a, a rumor, but nothing has been confirmed or nothing like that. That Skull and Bones is being adapted for TV, which I think is a little presumptuous that they think that the game's going to do that well. I mean, I'm okay. glad that they have that confidence, but it is like supposedly Hollywood Reporter put it out that they were working with Atlas Entertainment for this female driven drama set in the lawless frontier of the Indian Ocean like in the 1700s but like there's nothing fully confirmed about that that is just like you know little little rumor there i'm like hmm wait till your game comes out first yeah what's weird about that is although it's not a genre that i will play based on everything that i saw in the trailer if they deliver on that i could see a lot of folks spending crazy amount of time playing it and i wouldn't be surprised if it does really well like i was intrigued but not intrigued enough to play it but intrigued enough to like jump on the stream and watch like the crafting and uh, the PVP aspect, you know, getting the co-op help to, you know, uh, hit another ship, you know, all that stuff was exciting to me, but it's not my genre that I would actually play, but I I don't see why it wouldn't do well. The only thing that could hurt it is another delay or they don't deliver on what's actually in the trailer. That is true. And then you, you really don't know until you actually got it in your hand. Yeah. Um, there yeah. is an option on Ubisoft. You can you can register to, you know, hopefully be in a beta test for it to see what happens. I am signed up for it. Hopefully I get in. 
that's all I can do. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That that's definitely awesome. Yeah, so it's definitely a, a constructive criticism type of episode, and uh, I'm I'm here for it. Uh, next thing that we have is um, last but not least, E3 and Read Pop partnership to bring E3 into 2023. Daniela, thoughts on that? I I'm glad that they're making plans and events for next year because it's been what three years now? Yeah, three. <laughs> Feels like forever by this point. Um, but this feels like it's gonna. It feels less industry, more fan base. I guess you can say. I mean, it's still going to be open to, you know, you know, media, but I feel like over the years before, you know, before COVID, that's kind of where they were leading to is you're having all of these gamers come into this event, which is cool and a cool experience for people who've never gotten a goal before. But the madness that ensues, like, I, I can't, I can't be too harsh on it because my first year at E3, yes, it was on a gamer pass that I bought. I didn't have a media pass my first year. Um, I had it, I think, the second and third year. Yeah, I didn't have it the first year. But um, it's like madness trying to get in there. And if you remember, my feet definitely still remember <laughs> running yep. back and forth in between all the different halls, in between things, trying to meet meetings. But then you're also trying to dodge and weave in between all of these fans that are just like there on the showroom floor, like in your way. It's just like, I wish I could part the seas of people right now. You're in my way. And it's like, I'm like, I'm a little bit in between on that one. And if they're like, Going towards the stuff with Read Pop, I'm not too sure how to feel about that. And I'm not even sure, like, at this point, with everything that we have going on, um, especially on the digital side of it, with what Jeff Keighley has been doing, the Summer Fest games. Do we need E3? How has that, how has not having E3 hurt publishers, developers, or journalists is what I want to know. And that's the magic question, right? I, I don't think that we need it at this point because uh, there's so many things that we can pull from. Sure, there's going to be events that are going to be happening in the LA area or surrounding the actual convention. And as you mentioned, Jeff Keighley, and I like to, to coin it as Jeff Key 3, right? With all the things that he's doing, yeah. he's not going away. He's not going away. And I don't see that happening, right? I don't see him going away to say, hey, you know, everything that I've done up until this point, I'm just going to hand over uh, the reins, if you will, which I know that's not what it is, but I don't see Jeff Keighley going away from doing the stuff that he's doing. I think based on how successful from what we've seen it was, you know, last um, month, it seems like something that's going to be here for a long time, you know, and, and having these uh, developers get the shine, you know, to promote their games and all the content creators, the video people, audio people, written word folks, right? 
can cover it at the same time to bring it to their audience, or the individuals can just turn on a stream and watch all that stuff unfold themselves. Right. So we're at a place now where instantly you can get the information like even VidCon. If you spend a whole bunch of money for VidCon, a lot of folks watched it at home because all the live streams are on YouTube by VidCon. Right. So unless you were going there to meet somebody and take a picture, you can watch every single talk. Most of it, if not all of them, eight hours of different pieces of content of VidCon for all the single stages that they had. So everything is so readily available for us now. If somebody say they missed an event and they couldn't attend, you know, whether it's NFT NYC, most of those talks are going to be on, on the YouTube channel. Like I don't spend time going to talks if I know the talks is going to be online a couple of days later. So when you're looking at E3 and all those things, it's really for the camaraderie and potentially, I'll be fair, new relationships, you know, giving your card to a new PR company so you can be on their list, all the stuff that they're going to have. Right. That's still a thing. Right. But for the most part, if you're waiting for a particular trailer, waiting for a content, a trailer on a USB or some media kit that you want them to hand you or whatever, like most of that stuff is going to be online. And that's where we are. Right. So it, the, am I saying that the value of these events um, are you shouldn't attend them. I'm not saying that, but the, the availability of the information is almost instant now than it ever was. Right. It allowed all of these companies, all of these developers to do their own event. Capcom did their own thing. We can go down the list. The, the traditional ones in the past still do their own thing. Nintendo still do their own thing. They did their own thing for a while before we started seeing all these other streams. Right. If I'm, if I'm correct on that. Right. Nintendo started that, the E3 showcase stuff with the video format before a lot of other individuals. Is that, is that correct or no? Or maybe I'm talking crazy. Uh, no, I, I think that's correct. Okay. Yeah. That's how I remember it, but I could be wrong, but I'm just saying like, so, so that format of preparing a 20 minute, then you have state of play. They do their own thing. So you can go down the list of all the different companies doing those things that by the time we watch the 15, 20 minute information, we all have it. We all have it. Now, IRL still has its place if you're getting an opportunity that most individuals aren't, you know, they fly you out or you do this particular bit, that particular piece of content, you know, you present for something, host for something, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the opportunity is. If it's nothing like that and you're just going because you want the information first, everybody's getting it around the same time at this point. Does that mean you don't go? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying just just be mindful of that. That's the reality of all the stuff that we're at now. And then just, um, you know, make the decisions accordingly. I'm done on that. Do you have anything else? So, so my take on is like, yeah, that information is already out there already. As soon as, as soon as media gets it and sees that you're seeing it too. And really the value of attending E3 really is from face-to-face conversations um, and, and there's nothing really that can replace that for any event, like just being able to, to talk to people and put a face to a name to really get a feel out of, of people is just that, that interaction. Um, and it's, 
I can't really directly say that you're you're going there as for media to get, you know, be the first people to get the information out and have that article posted and do live blogging or tweeting or anything like that, because that, that kind of already happens. Like you're saying, you're like, you get the same information as soon as everybody else does. Um, it's it's about really making those those first impressions on you know PR reps on um, with developers, which is a skill set that needs to be developed. And it's it's not like hey you can just go up there. It's like hey I'm Danny. You know I do this and this and this and this and give like this whole resume to them. Um. It's about being personable and sometimes not everybody has that that skill or that ability and E3 is kind of a really big one to like throw yourself into for the first time. Um I really do believe that if this is going to be happening, um do I want I do I still want to go? Yeah, of course. I miss people. I miss events, period. Um but it's not necessarily because I want to be the f- person that gets the information first. Um I want to definitely be one of the people that shows appreciation to the to the team in person. That's for sure. I yeah. Guess, like I can just fly to LA and just wait at the JW. How about that one? Right. <laughs> That's always good times, you know, mean friends and, and chatting and stuff like that. And, and I do, uh, maybe I'm being a little harsh. I know there's value of, you know, getting your camera gear and, having the interview with your favorite developer and this is the only time that you can see them. People fly all over the world to be at E3. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I love that, right? I miss that for sure. But we have to be honest at this point, there's a lot of information that we can get. If it's information and you're not necessarily worried, worried about interviews and stuff like that, you can get the information pretty much immediately at this point right but if you want to grab your phone and connect an audio adapter to it connect some mics to it because you want to have a conversation that you're going to put on your channel that's going to live there forever and you're going to appreciate that you know bit of content to create a portfolio for yourself and you know eventually become a host and presenter and the game then you know do what you have to do do what you have to do to make those things happen but in terms of information sharing, we're at a place now where we get that stuff so fast now. Most individuals miss half of the things that are put out because they're put out by every single company on their own, uh, not necessarily their own platform, but in their own way by way of their own showcase, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think we're, we're saying the same things here. Uh, we do miss it. It does have value, you know, when you're doing the IRL stuff and, you know, the hugs, the high fives, the interviews and impressions on the PR stuff. But uh, if it's just for information, then you're spending 500, 600 bucks plus, you know, hotels and other things and, and food. And um, but that's a decision that you have to make for yourself. Everybody has to make that decision individually. So yeah, you got you got to definitely make it worth it and just make it more than just getting information. You you have to. That's where I feel. And here, here's the other half of it, too. Since E3 has not been around, um, companies, how much money have they saved and what do they have to be lured back into 
to create these presentations because that that travel for them these companies these studios um these uh exhibit exhibitors that are going to be there that costs a lot of money to right. ship your team ship your product ship your all your displays your setup all of this other stuff to have a spot at E3 whereas these last several years they've been providing that same content information digitally they're having the shows if they do you know um Jeff Keeley like they have what a couple couple of people they create their video presentation then they have like one or two of their representatives come and talk about the game do an interview with Jeff Keeley answer some questions maybe there's some sideshows that happen that they're giving more in depth but you're not you're not sending an entire team it has been so much more cost effective and i feel that over these years has offered the same type if not more um i guess love and you know return as if they were in person yeah i definitely agree with that and then the the remote teams for a lot of these companies have definitely beefed up right and how they're executing and collaborating to give us the content, you know, especially with uh, the voice um, recorders, uh, the voiceover people and how they're creating content uh, for the games that we know and love, especially, especially if the game has a lot of, you know, voiceovers in it and stuff like that. Remote work definitely beefed up over uh, the years, ever since, you know, we've been in this, you know, situation with uh, the pandemic and hopefully coming out of it. I don't know what that really means because coming out of NFC NYC, my wife and my daughter got COVID and I didn't. And we're just, you know, past it now where they're both negative, you know, and I never got it. And I hung out with my wife the entire time. So that's kind of weird how that works. But um, so maybe we're coming out on the other side when it comes to that stuff. And but that's still a reality with uh, traveling and being around people. So I don't know. There's a lot to consider to make trips like that and, you know, staying safe and, and healthy and and just, you know, coverage and, you know, content and mental health, all that stuff that you have to take into consideration as you're making those decisions to attend either a New York event or L.A. or everything in between. That's a good way to sum it up. OK, well, that's it for episode 619. I got one more question for you. Go ahead. So, uh, we applying for E3? <laughs> we always apply, right? <laughs> we always apply. Why not? It doesn't hurt to apply, right? It doesn't hurt. And if, and my thing is, and, and we've shared this before, why wouldn't you apply? You know, if you have a way to go, then go apply and, and go check it out. But just be ready. The only thing I would uh, highly suggest Make sure your body is ready for that. Because if your body's not rid of this COVID, COVID body over here, the, the weight that I've gained. <laughs> Thanks, COVID. You, I'm just like, your body has to be ready for all, all this walking around and stuff like that. And then what's the saving grace, too, is that a lot of the companies use like hotel um, conference rooms and stuff like that to like share information with you. So that may be a saving grace. Um, but at the same time, they're saving money for themselves, too. But like, just make sure your body is ready for the lack of sleep. OK, because you're trying to see everything 
If you're going to party in the evening, you got to be prepared for what's happening the next day. If you're a core member of your team to acquire information and your body's not ready for that, you may not go again with that team next year because you can't, you know, handle the weight of, of that, right? Your body, or at least your body couldn't because you didn't prepare your body for that. So make sure your body's ready, eat well, you know, nutrition, uh, exercise, you know, really prepare your body for all the walking, comfortable shoes. You're not going to be wearing heels, you know, or anything like that, you know, as you know, ladies just, you know, wear comfortable shoes. Um, just prepare yourself for things like that. Hydrate, you know, take your emergency, uh, vitamin, you know, um, edelberry, you know, stuff, or take your vitamins, all that stuff. Just prepare your body for that if you're considering that. And just in general, period. Absolutely. Or just, just for basic health. <laughs> But yeah, this is a good uh, criticizing episode we got here. Constructive, constructive. I don't think we beat up anybody. I think we're fair. I think we're extremely I, fair. What are you saying? Yeah, no, no. I think we were. I think we were good. I think I think we we're fair. <laughs> yeah, we just came. Let's just go right into the show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Yeah, we, we just went right in. But um, but yeah, I just felt like, you know, we have to say these things. And I am definitely tagging the individuals that um, we mentioned today. That goes across E3, Reed Pop, Skull and Bones and Exo Primal. I think that that's constructive. We didn't say anything mean. We weren't trying to just uh, be um, provocative just for the sake of being. And, um, yeah, and hopefully, hmm? Being honest. Yeah, or just being honest about, you know, what we've seen. And, and hopefully, you know, they take, you know, some lessons uh, from that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I definitely appreciated what we shared today. And, uh, Daniela, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, all those fun places at Miss DJM. And, Andrew, where can they find you? You can find me at Uriah, U-R-I-Y-Y-A. Uh, make sure you check out my link tree. The Discord is in there as well. And until next time, take care. Bye, guys.